Welcome to episode 50 of the Cheeky Podcast. I can't freaking believe it. Our little engine that could is raising our consciousness and giving hope to women around the world that we mamas with IBD, we are badasses and we will never give up and we will never stop finding the true healing path that's in all of us. Podcasts are amazing. They're amazing inventions, aren't they? Connecting us to each other so that we can find ways to help our Crohn's and our colitis. And I'm really proud to be a small part of that. Have you been with me since the beginning? You go, girl. Joined halfway through? Amen, sister friend. Maybe, maybe this is your first ever episode. Welcome aboard. No matter when you join the conversation, mama, I am just so happy to have you here. And I'm so grateful for you. And I can't wait to share some IBD wisdom with you in this special and very personal episode. Buckle up because it might just be a bumpy ride. Here we go. You're listening to the Cheeky Podcast for Moms with IBD, a safe space where moms with Crohn's and colitis connect, explore powerful tools for healing, and transform our lives to thrive in motherhood and in life. I'm your host, Karen Haley, IBD health coach, integrative wellness enthusiast, and mom to three outstanding kids. After having Crohn's disease for 30 years and working as a health advocate exclusively with IBD clients for the last 10 years, I know it's time to bring the types of candid conversations I have with my clients out into the open. It's our time to go on an IBD healing journey and do it like only a mom can. Let's do this. Hey, hey, dear one. I am so happy to share this time with you today. It is episode 50. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, we've made it. And to celebrate, would you do me a favor? Whether this is your first or 50th time with the Cheeky Podcast in your ears, if you're enjoying this information, would you please take a minute and give us a rating, a positive rating? It's good karma and review on iTunes. It helps other IBD mamas hear all about the IBD goodness that we're putting out each week. Thank you so much, dear one. I appreciate you. Now we've got lots to talk about today. Like I mentioned at the top, this is episode 50 and throughout the weeks and months that this podcast has been on the air, you've sent the most lovely and supportive emails to me. And several of you have asked me to do this for quite a while. You tell me that the how-tos have been valuable for your healing and that you're loving the interviews, but you wonder why I haven't shared my story fully yet. What made me want to start the podcast? That's another question I get often. And what's my IBD story? And if I'm being really honest with you and with myself as well, I've put off talking in depth about my IBD story because I'm just not that comfortable being the center of a story. I love telling client stories and talking about what I've learned on my IBD journey, but talking about myself, mm, my mama, she always taught me that the best way to shine is to shine a light on someone else. 
But today, in honor of the big 5-0, I am going to swallow my introverted nerves and I'm going to put it all out there. My Crohn's story, at least the parts that I think will benefit you. I really hope that it inspires you in some way to see your story in my story, to keep pushing forward, to never give up, to believe in your power, to know the strength and value of what you bring to the table with your intuition and your insights through all of your provider interactions, and ultimately how you have the power to take charge of your own healthcare decisions, mama, you do. That's the main thing that I've learned in my 35 years with IBD. I'm getting vulnerable with five breakdowns I've experienced in my time with IBD and how I was able to turn those breakdowns into breakthroughs. Maybe you'll see a little bit of what you've gone through in my story and insights to take with you for what you've yet to go through on your IBD journey. Let's go ahead and dive in with breakdown to breakthrough number one. And it all starts with the diagnosis. Like so many of us with Crohn's and colitis, my story begins in a hospital. At 17 years old, I was just graduating. I had just graduated from high school. I was ready to go to college three and a half hours away from my home. I was going to study dance with the hopes of continuing a dancing career that I had started at the wee little age of three. I was ready to take on the world. And I just have to give you, before we go further, I have to give you just a little bit of context here for where I was at at the time. In my nuclear family, I was the baby in a house full of boys. I was the only girl with three older brothers. But to be really more accurate for you, it was more like having four fathers who just loved to watch my every move. My brothers probably even more than my dad. So I grew up in an upper middle-class family in a privileged community called Orchard Park, New York. Go Quakers! Whoop, whoop. I was fairly sheltered, moderately spoiled, but of course those brothers or fathers, they would probably tell you I was mega spoiled. And through most of my life up till that point, my biggest worry was, do I have enough hairspray to hold my big 80s hair up? right? Like gag me with a spoon, right? That was my life. But back in the hospital, let me get back to that part of the story. I was coming out of exploratory surgery where a colorectal surgeon was trying to figure out why I was having bloody poops and why I had these rectal fissures. So if you haven't had those lovely things before, rectal fissures are tears in the rectal lining and they bleed and they would bleed for me every time I pooped or sat down or stood up or moved, right? You get the picture. <laughs> they bled. No need to adjust your earbuds. These are just the sounds that I woke up to as the anesthesia wore off from that surgery. I can still hear it in my head today because it's just so emblazoned there. These muffled voices. I remember seeing a blur of people and I vaguely recognized my parents and my doctor. They were talking in hushed tones, you know, the kind of 
hushed tones that people talk in when they're in a hospital. I remember I couldn't make out what they were saying. It was just those mumbles. And then the image, it lasted only for a moment and I was out again, blissfully unaware that my life was about to change forever. When I think back on those last moments of unknowing that I had IBD, I wish, I wish that I would have seen that there was a change coming. I wish that I would have fully embraced those last few true childhood innocent moments. But as many loving parents do in a situation like this, mine tried to shield me from the emotional and physical pain that they knew would soon follow. Even when I recovered and I woke up fully from the surgery, they didn't tell me anything. They said, the procedure went well, and we'll talk about it when we get home. And this isn't the first time that I was shielded from the truth. Because since I was 14 years old, these strange symptoms, they were creeping up with no known cause. I went from stomach pain to esophagus pain to canker sores in my mouth, and then finally the bloody poop. And well-meaning doctors, they had diagnosed me with everything from esophagitis all the way to endometriosis. It seems crazy to me now that they didn't put two and two together. Or if they did, they had put it together and come up with five. So many of us, we have experiences like this before we get our IBD diagnosis. I've heard about this. It happens over and over. I've heard about it from GLC members and from clients that it took years to get a proper diagnosis. And I just have no clue why it takes so long. Why don't they think Crohn's and colitis? At the time when I was getting all of these non-IBD diagnoses for three years, mind you, I didn't question anything. I never asked, why would an otherwise healthy 14-year-old girl get esophagitis? And in hindsight, I kind of feel stupid that I didn't ask the right questions. But on the other hand, how would I know what those questions were? How would I know what those questions would have been? So a couple days after that surgery, my parents, they sat me down and they told me the truth. They said, the doctor did a biopsy while you were in the hospital and discovered you have Crohn's disease. And you know exactly, I know you do, you know exactly what my response was because I know it was your response as well. What's Crohn's disease? Or what's ulcerative colitis? I didn't know what Crohn's was, but I knew that word disease. And that definitely didn't sound good. At 17, I endured my first real breakdown moment when I got that diagnosis. Can you think back to that moment in your life? When you got that diagnosis, it sucks, right? It's definitely a breakdown moment. Maybe a little bit of relief because now you know what you have. But at the same time, let's be honest, it sucks. It still sucks. For me, sure. I had had some teenage challenges before this. I had boyfriends dump me. I got through all of the catty girl stuff that can happen. And I did actually endure some pretty nasty bullying in middle school. But this breakdown, this IBD diagnosis, it was different. It made the other teenager challenges seem silly and frivolous. The good news is that with this particular breakdown, 
I didn't stay broken. I didn't stay in that broken phase for very long. Even though any sort of physical healing from the Crohn's, that was still about 20 years away from me. This physical breakdown of my body, it led to an emotional breakthrough that still carries me through every challenge I encounter in my life. Something that I have to tell you because I just can't go further until I tell you this. It's a little side note, but it's an important one. Before I go further, I have to tell you that there is a long, long, long line of strong women in my family, great, great grandmothers and great aunts that immigrated from Italy with nothing. An Italian grandmother I called Nana, who lived a life of only going to school until the fourth grade, never owning a single toy or a doll, marrying an abusive husband, yet still carrying on. And she always, always brought me to laughing tears with the stories that she would tell. And my mother, who underwent multiple eye surgeries, six or seven, I think, before she even was 18 months old. And throughout her life, she ended up being legally blind in one eye. And when my mom was 77 years old, she was diagnosed with liver cancer. And the doctors gave her six months to live, but she lived six years mainly out of sheer willpower and faith. And it's because of these remarkable women in my life that after I graduated from high school and was diagnosed with Crohn's, that it was just expected that I would carry on strong and confident that I would get through this. No problem. The strength of the maternal women in my life got me through that first blur of a summer with multiple doctor's appointments and multiple medications and this new life to adjust to. In late July, in the summer, when I was about to turn 18, I remember vividly a conversation I had with my mom where I said to her, Mom, I don't think I can go to college anymore. I am so sick. I have lost so much weight. I am so scared. How am I going to make it at a college that's three and a half hours away from home? And my mom, oh, my mom, she didn't miss a beat. In a loving way, she sat me down and she said, it doesn't matter that you've been diagnosed with Crohn's, Karen. You will get through it. What's more important is that the train of life is leaving the station. If you don't get on that train, Crohn's be damned. If you don't get on that train, your life will pass you by. That was all the discussion we had about it. I went to college. With support like that, there's just no room for self-doubt. My first physical breakdown of the diagnosis of Crohn's that turned into an emotional breakthrough It happened when I went away to college two months after being diagnosed with Crohn's. And I'm eternally grateful that my mom didn't let me wallow or lag behind because college, it still holds some of the best memories and life lessons that I could ever imagine. Breakdown number two. Breakdown number two that turned into breakthrough number two, it picks up where my story just left off. The breakdown begins as soon as I hit the college dorms, and it involves, get this, a sitz bath, five ASA medications that didn't work, a year's worth of steroids with 20 pounds of weight gain, 
face mooning, anger outbursts, depression, and finally becoming suicidal. Let me break down my breakdown for you. So I have to start off first with complete honesty. While I was at college, I did engage in the typical college antics, partying, drinking, sorority life. But much of my college life, as I'm sure you can imagine, because you have IBD too, it was different. It was different than those around me. When I went to college, I was having really painful poops, like cry out in pain kind of painful poops. Those rectal fissures that I told you about earlier, yeah, they were still there, except now I had more of them. And it hurt. It hurt so much to poop that I had to use this contraption called a sitz bath every time I went number two. Have you heard of these, the sitz bath? If you're having really painful poops, maybe a sitz bath could help you too. They still sell them today. Basically, a sitz bath is a plastic round bucket that sits on your toilet seat. You fill it with warm water and then you do your business in it. And then after that, you dump the contents into the toilet and flush it. Make sense? In my experience, the warmer the water with the sitz bath, the warmer the water, the better. Because it definitely lessens a painful poop when you either have fissures or hemorrhoids or are having a painful poop for another reason. Now, every time I had to poop my freshman year in college, I'd go to the community toilet in the dorm. Yeah, those gross community bathrooms where everyone on the floor uses the same bathroom. That's where I had to go. So I would go there hiding the sitz path, a jug of water for the warm water and a towel to wipe my bum. I'd hide all of that in a duffel bag that I'd carry over my shoulder. And I'd try to go to the bathroom when no one was around. So they wouldn't see me filling that water jug at the sink before I went into the bathroom stall. And I was super self-conscious. I was just coming to terms with the whole IBD thing. So I was just really self-conscious that somebody would stop me and say, what the hell are you doing? Why are you filling that jug of water? Why do you have that bag? And you're going into the bathroom. Sometimes I was stealth and no one walked in. I think the correct term would be more like lucky. I wasn't really stealth. And then sometimes my dorm mates, they would see me and they would give me really strange looks, but thankfully, thankfully they never questioned me at least out loud. They never questioned me. I can laugh about it. Now I can laugh about the ridiculousness of the whole thing. Now, well, that freshman year, There was also a rectal abscess that I had to deal with. I had to endure that when I got high fevers from this infectious, pus-filled, hard sack, and it was in my butt. The doctor had inserted a tube just to the right of my rectum to drain the abscess. And I had to keep it in. I remember it. I had to keep it in for months. And I kind of hobbled along as I walked, right, because it was kind of it kind of affected my balance. So I would kind of hobble along trying to look normal while I walked with this tube sticking out of my butt. I even danced in a showcase performance with this small tube sticking out of my butt. Oh gosh. I hope that someone can tell me, please tell me that that treatment for rectal abscesses has advanced over the years because that's just 
crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. But the worst part, the worst part of my college experience happened my sophomore year when my disease had progressed beyond dipentum, acicol, pentasa, and antibiotics like flagell and cipro. I know those are oldies, but shout an amen if you remember, if you have heard of any of those from years and years ago. They've now all been replaced with other hopefully better 5-ASAs. Let's hope. My doctor, though, my doctor told me that these medications, they weren't working anymore, and it was time for steroids, specifically prednisone. And of course, this was at a point in my life where I was just the good little patient and I did whatever I was told. If my doc said steroids, I said, sure, sign me up. I'm on it. I can do it. And he mentioned to me that the steroids, they might, they might cause weight gain or this mooning of the face, maybe some acne, but the part about the emotional symptoms that might come up, not so much. Plus this was the early nineties, the days when steroids were given more long-term and after one year, yeah, you heard that correctly. One year on these toxic drugs, I was teeming with anger outbursts. I was so moody that my friends, they, in the dorm, they didn't know if one day I'd be Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde, they didn't know who would show up. And I was being teased. Guys were telling me you missed the freshman 15 and decided to gain the sophomore 20, huh? Mean, right? And finally it was that long-term course that caused a depression to set in and sent me down this downward spiral that eventually messed with my mind. And I started having thoughts of suicide. Talk about a massive, right? Truly massive breakdown for such a young person. How could I possibly turn this into a breakthrough? Again, it took my remarkable mom stepping up and stepping in. One day she visited me at college and I told my mom, we were close. So I told my mom that I was starting to feel suicidal. And again, this unflappable lady, she didn't miss a beat. She marched me straight to my doctor's office. And I remember we definitely didn't have an appointment. I know we didn't have an appointment, but she demanded that the doctor see me immediately. And I don't even think, thinking back on it, I don't think we waited in the waiting room even, maybe because the staff was so afraid of others encountering my mom's wrath. And then when the doctor came in, she told the doctor that he was to immediately taper my steroids. She was appalled that they had kept me on them for so long and that they had to right now come up with a better solution pronto. And of course, I can't claim with 100% certainty that it was the steroids that created those suicidal thoughts for me. But I do know that I've never been suicidal before prednisone and I've never been suicidal since. I thank God that it isn't standard practice to keep patients on steroids long-term anymore. I feel really confident that this particular breakdown won't happen to you. Breakdown to breakthrough number two, suicidal on steroids to my mama saving the day yet again. Breakdown to breakthrough number three takes me from painful years of infertility to finally the blessing of three 
amazing children. Let me tell you about it. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you've got kids. You've got Crohn's or colitis and you've got kids. It's a real struggle, isn't it? Kids and IBD. I've definitely had many challenges being a mom with Crohn's, but I don't know about you, but I wouldn't change it for anything. I think I think I always knew I wanted to be a mom from as long as I can remember, but there was a time in my life when I thought my IBD would keep me from my motherhood dreams. For many, many years, I followed the advice of my doctors. I followed the conventional path. I was still following the advice of the medical professionals who told me that food had nothing to do with my illness when I met a man who changed my life. He was a friend of my brother's studying to be a psychologist at the same graduate school that I went to. And you've met my head shrinking, coffee drinking hubby on the podcast. He's made an appearance or two. We met on a skydiving trip. If you can imagine that something that we'd probably only do in our younger years, because after that, I never did it again, but he and I, we became inseparable. He's been there through all of my Crohn's hell, my bowel resections. And I remember, I remember vividly when he held me in his arms and he just let me cry until I couldn't cry anymore. When I told him that four and a half feet of my small intestine had become the size of a spaghetti string and doctors were going to operate to take that four and a half feet out. And he was there. He was there again with my next bowel surgery when another four and a half feet had to be removed. But the best thing he ever did for me was stand by me, stand by me, stand by our marriage when I broke down, thinking we'd never be able to have children. Within a year of us getting married, Bill and I started trying to get pregnant. With my Crohn's history, I was worried that it might be a struggle to get pregnant. And I was right. After two years of trying to conceive, we still weren't pregnant. We tried temperature readings, fertility drugs, scheduling sex at certain times of the month. It was really stressful. If you've been through that, you know it can be really stressful. When you're trying to relax to make a baby, all of that planning and attention, it can be stressful. And I remember saying to Bill, I don't know if we're ever going to have a child. If you want out of our marriage, I will understand. But Bill, my rock, he said he was with me for the long haul. He wasn't leaving just because we couldn't have children. And of course, we thought about adoption. We didn't care how we became parents. We were seriously considering it while I was also going through fertility treatments. And I remember one idiot fertility specialist we met with, and trust me, I don't use that word often and I don't use it lightly and I understand how derogatory it is, but this doctor deserves it. He told me that the reason I wasn't pregnant was because besides having Crohn's, I must also have anorexia because I'm so thin. He told me that I should get help for my anorexia and then I'd be able to get pregnant. I didn't have anorexia. In the words of Hermione in the first Harry Potter series, what an idiot. 
he truly didn't get Crohn's or colitis at all. And just when I was at my lowest point going through all of this, hormones raging from fertility drugs, we actually conceived our first child. We conceived our first child through a fertility procedure called IUI. I remember getting the phone call from the doctor telling us we were pregnant. And I literally, I literally, I didn't, I would say, I was going to say I would dropped to my knees, but I, I couldn't help it. I just fell. I fell to my knees in pure joy and astonishment that it actually had happened for us after such dark times. What a breakthrough. And to my surprise, getting pregnant for my first time, it set off my fertility juices, I guess, because I got pregnant two more times after that. We have three absolutely beautiful boys now, two of them actually grown men. And I just, I feel so blessed that they're a part of my life every day. Breakdown number three, years of infertility to the miracle, absolute miracle of three kids. What a breakthrough. What a breakthrough that was. If you're struggling to get pregnant, I tell you this because I don't want you to give up hope. I am so grateful that I kept trying. Breakdown to breakthrough number four. Probably the biggest breakdown to breakthrough I had in my almost 35-year Crohn's journey was going from looking at my illness from an approach of making no decisions, no moves on my own, looking for everyone else for answers, keeping the power and the knowledge outside of my control, which by the way, got me nowhere. And not once, not once in those 20 years did I ever feel well. You know that term sick and tired? Yeah. Every day for 20 years, I felt sick and tired. And the breakthrough that emerged from this breakdown was probably the biggest transformation and mindset shift of my life. In 2007, our family moved back to the States. We had been living in England for four years while my husband was in the Air Force and he was getting out of the military and we were settling in where we now live in Maryland. And I wasn't feeling well. I was a mom to two little ones. They were 17 months apart. I was running myself ragged. I was stressed. The immunosuppressive drugs I was on by that point, they weren't suppressing my Crohn's symptoms, but they were suppressing my immune system, so much so that I was constantly fighting off one infection after another. If you've done immunosuppressives, if you've done biologics, I know you know what I'm talking about. It just suppressed everything in me and I couldn't fight off any infection. I went to a new gastroenterologist who, of course, ordered a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. They always like to do that when you're a new patient. And when the tests were complete, she gave me the news. There's nothing else I can do for you. You've had so much of your small intestine taken out that you can't have any more surgeries. You should just wait, wait and hope for a small intestine transplant. Of course, medicine hasn't advanced that far yet. Oh my gosh, I was devastated. I had done everything I was told to do in those 20 years. I listened. I took all the medications as prescribed. I endured 
pooping in a bucket. I endured a rectal abscess, steroid rage and depression, suicidal thoughts, two bowel resections. How can she tell me that there's nothing else she can do for me? I felt like the medical community, I felt like they had let me down. I felt like, what the hell do I do now? And in that moment, in that very moment, I still remember it well, that mantra, that mantra that my mom had taught me 20 years earlier, back when I chose to go to college instead of climbing in a bed and staying there, it just started pounding in my head. The train of life is leaving the station. The train is leaving the station. And it hit me. The medical community, they may have given up on me, but I still have hope. I still have places to go. And I raced home from that doctor's appointment and I ran to my basement where books and trinkets are packed in boxes on high. And I searched and searched until I found Breaking the Vicious Cycle. The book Elaine Gottschall had wrote about the specific carbohydrate diet. And even though I had bought this book and I had read it five years prior at that time, it just read like Greek to me, gluten-free, grain-free, dry curd, cottage cheese, almond flour, homemade yogurt. No one was talking about gluten back then. I was not ready to hear it. But this time, this time, right then and there, as I read it again, cover to cover, I highlighted so much in the pages that they actually looked bright yellow. The whole page looked bright yellow. I was taking notes in the margins. This time, for some reason, it made sense. Somehow, in that moment, the breakthrough, it just washed over me. I just knew. I knew that the words in this book, I knew that they were the step-by-step plan for my future. I also knew that healing like this, it wouldn't be easy. It wasn't healing in a magic pill, a magic task or something. It was hard work. It would take time, but finally, oh my goodness, finally, after 20 years of hell, I knew, I just knew, I knew that going through the steps in that book, I knew that it would be time well spent. So even though I knew that this path, I knew I needed to take it, I was still feeling really daunted. It was a whole new way of eating for this Italian girl who loves bread and pasta, cereal and mashed potatoes. Even though the internet is not what it is today, I scoured and scoured until I found an SCD expert, a health coach who showed me the ropes and walked me step-by-step through the maze of SCD legal and SCD illegal. I had never heard of a health coach before, but I jumped in with both feet with the clarity of a woman who knows she's on the right path for the first time in a long time, maybe the first time in my life. So I did the SCD. I did that intro diet You know the intro diet if you've done the SCD before. And to be really just honest with you, it kind of sucked, especially in the beginning. I was eating like a baby, mashed bananas, homemade fermented yogurt, pear sauce, carrots that were cooked until they were just mush, chicken broth, really like a baby. 
So those first few days, I missed my old food. I missed it so much. And I just felt like crap. But as the weeks went by, my crappy symptoms, they began to disappear. My stomach pain was gone. I mean, completely gone. My diarrhea, it began to improve as well. And I just couldn't believe it. I hadn't felt this good since my early teen years. On the SCD, my initial plan was to go off all my meds within one year. That was the goal I had set for myself. But after just six months, I felt so good that I said, screw it. I'm just going to go for it. And I did. And it's been 13 years since then. And I've never, not once, I've never regretted my SCD decision. Not once. SCD, it saved my life. Breakdown number four. From there's nothing else I can do for you to SCD breakthrough a breakthrough of healing proportions. Now you might be thinking that after that triumphant breakthrough, life with Crohn's since then, it's been easy street for this gal. Well, for a while, I thought that was the case too. I had been looking for a way out of all of the pain, the medications, the toxic medications, the uncertainty of what hellish symptom would happened to appear next. SCD gave that to me. But what I learned in the last several years is that keeping my IBD under control, it isn't just about diet alone. It's about a lot more than that. Breakdown to breakthrough number five, my final breakthrough so far. Let's talk about it because I hope that what I'm about to tell you I hope that it can be a learning experience for you too, so that you never have to go through the trials and the tribulations that I went through on this particular breakdown. For years, the SCD, it kept my IBD completely in remission. I ate huge, like dinner-sized plate salads every day for lunch. My once-a-day poops, they were solid and so solid, actually, that I even started to experience occasional constipation, if you can believe it. My energy, it was through the roof. And I didn't take it for granted, not for one day. I savored every bite of strawberry, of pumpkin seeds, of chunky, fibrous nuts. Oh my goodness. I thought, why isn't everyone doing this? The SCD is the cure. After the most profound experience of my life, turning my IBD around with this diet. Oh my gosh. I became a health coach then to serve others on their healing journey. And all of that worked until about five years ago when a few things happened that brought me back to square one. And it showed me that there isn't just one healing path. There's several. About five years ago, I had to find my way past yet another breakdown so that I could begin to rebuild again. Within the course of a few months, two illnesses struck me hard. First, I remember this, it was February flu season and I got the flu, not a stomach bug, but the diagnosable flu. And it wiped me out completely. I felt horrible. I laid in bed for about a week. And sometimes it was so bad. Like I was really unable to even pick my head up. 
I became severely dehydrated. I required IV fluids. And thankfully, I did recover. Only a couple months later, I got plagued with food poisoning, E. coli to be exact. It seemed like everything that was in my insides, it was coming out both ends. I'm sure you can picture it. Not a pretty sight. I couldn't get off the toilet for several days. I think the flu that I had recently had, I think it just set up the stage for this gut dysbiosis that the food poisoning took advantage of. And then it just pushed me over the edge. Looking back though, I think, I think if I had just had one of these ailments, I don't think it would have completely brought me down. I think I would have been able to fight back, but the two of them, bam, bam, back to back together like that. It set the stage for a lasting bacterial imbalance that I am still fighting to this day. And after months of trying to get back on track, I ended up finding this wonderfully gifted nutritionist who diagnosed me with SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It's really common to contract SIBO after bacterial upsets like a bout of food poisoning or the flu. And SIBO is really just what it sounds like. It's an overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine. And when we think of the bacteria of the intestine, I know many people think that we actually, they think that we have equal amounts of bacteria throughout the digestive tract, but actually most of the bacteria in a healthy individual, it lies in the colon, the large intestine. When too much bacteria travels into the small intestine, we can end up with SIBO. And it's so much more common than many realize, especially IBDers. And most mainstream doctors, they're not even testing properly for SIBO if they've heard of it at all. And the symptoms, they are so similar to our Crohn's and colitis that we don't realize we have it. But it's really important to figure that out because the treatment for SIBO, it's different than the treatment for IBD. So if you're wondering about SIBO, as a side note here, because it might be a factor in your symptoms and you want information on SIBO symptoms, testing, and treatments, check out my episode 30 of the podcast. You're doing everything right. How come your IBD isn't getting better? It's one of my most downloaded episodes, and it's got some great SIBO information in it. I will link to that episode in the show notes. And I want to tell you one more resource. A great SIBO resource is also the work of Allison Seebecker, Dr. Seebecker. And I will leave a link to her SIBO work there as well. There's a ton of great information on her website as well. SIBO, it is a bit of a monster. You can treat it, but it usually takes a few courses, a few treatment courses. And then in times of stress or bacterial imbalance or about a food poisoning, it can then rear its ugly head again. SIBO is definitely something that I continually work hard to keep in check in my own body. And I worked really hard with this nutritionist. I worked really hard to tackle SIBO. And just as I was finally settling down for a long winter's nap, at least my digestive system was, I began struggling with 
small intestinal scar tissue from those old previous bowel surgeries, the bowel resection surgeries I had told you about the scar tissue from the surgeries. It was blocking my intestines and causing partial obstructions every time I would eat and obstructions. Maybe you've dealt with those with your own IBD life. They really are the worst. Oh, your, your abdomen, it, fills up like a balloon, the pressure and the pain on your belly. It's so intense. I don't even know if there's got to be a better word for it, but the best word I can come up with is intense to say the least. And in my case, I just had to wait until the food passed through. And that can be a really excruciatingly painful few hours for that food to pass through. And as annoying as all the physical aspects of the illnesses, I was going through the SIBO, the scar tissue, all of the physical setbacks, they just began to take an emotional toll on me. When you're doing everything right, you're taking care of yourself, you're eating right, and you get struck down with challenges that you can have no control over, it's emotionally exhausting and it's infuriating. And I was definitely feeling the breakdown moment there. That was the breakdown for me. And unlike, unlike many of the IBD challenges that I have been through in the past, the breakthrough with these latest setbacks, it wasn't an instant aha. It wasn't a quick fix. This breakthrough, it came to me in waves. And over the last few years, I've realized that staying well it isn't just about one thing. It isn't about finding that one diet that works for you, although that is big. It's about what I like to call your wheel of wellness. To get through and thrive with IBD and the extra challenges that it can create, I had to expand my healing circle. It doesn't matter whether it's another autoimmune disease that creeps up on you, that you get on top of your IBD, which is really common, right? When you have one autoimmune disease, it makes you more susceptible to more autoimmune diseases or even dealing with IBD in the time of COVID, worrying about contracting the virus or whether or not to vaccinate. It creates huge stress, and it can have a huge impact on our disease as well, or even just other IBD-related problems that could creep up like SIBO or candida or the scar tissue that I was experiencing or arthritis. We all have to use an abundance of resources at our disposal to create the breakthrough to develop a fully functioning wheel of IBD wellness. For me, my wheel of wellness and the breakthrough that came down from the breakdown, breakdown number five, it means creating a wheel of IBD wellness for me that centers around learning the ancient art of breath work, dealing with my stress in a healthier way, focusing on ways to get more sleep meditating, practicing yoga, trying energy modalities like Reiki and craniosacral therapy, and getting out of guilt mode. Oh my goodness. Getting myself out of that guilt mode when I need me time, when I need Karen time, right? Not feeling guilty about it. My wheel of wellness includes prioritizing what's important in my life, journaling and feeling gratitude 
deep in my bones every day, manifesting, envisioning the change I want to see in myself. And of course, also gut healing food too. At their core, these are mindset and lifestyle practices. And over the last few years, I have come to rely on these practices more and more. As I get older, I find that I need them more in my life. And it's been truly astounding just how powerful a component of the mind is when it comes to healing. That's what led me to starting this podcast to answer the question I've been getting from others out there. That's what led me to start the podcast as I developed this larger wheel of IBD wellness for myself. I wanted to share ideas with you, ideas that could help you develop your own wheel of wellness. If the last five years have taught me anything, it's that everyone's wheel of IBD wellness should look completely different. But I want to make sure that you know all your options so that you can take that information and develop the healing plan that works best for you. Okay, my dear one, these five breakdowns to breakthroughs that I have shared with you today, they're not the end of my journey. If there's one thing that I've learned through all of this, it's that when it comes to IBD, the journey continues every day. There's always obstacles that get in your way. There's always going to be breakdowns, healing and growing and learning to rise above. It's about finding a workaround, finding a road less traveled, finding a path that's dedicated to your name only, that path that says your name on it. My path is the Karen path. Your path is a whole different path. It has your name on it. That's where your breakthroughs lie. There are many others in the IBD space, practitioners of one sort or another who will tell you, this is the way to heal. This one way, I've got that way. They might tell you that the only way to help your IBD is with medicine, or they might tell you the only way to help your IBD is without medicine. But what I've learned through all of my years with Crohn's, through all the breakdowns and the breakthroughs I've been through is that there is no one way to find remission, no one way for all of us to heal. If I could pass down one important message to you from all my time, all the time I've spent on my own healing journey and witnessing others on their healing journey, it's to keep searching for your way. When it comes to inflammatory bowel disease, we are all different. What works for you isn't what works for someone else. But, but we all do have one thing in common, one healing tool that you and I both need, and that's our own personal wheel of IBD wellness, that invisible wheel that's a combination of all the healing modalities that serve you best. Keep cultivating your wheel of wellness and keep supporting your right to have the biggest say in how you treat your IBD. In the next 50 episodes of the Jiggy podcast, I promise to keep giving you, keep bringing you big ideas that have the power to grow your wheel of IBD wellness in the way that works for you. It's been such an honor 
a privilege to bring you the last 50 episodes of the Cheeky Podcast for Moms with IBD. I cannot wait to see what the next 50 will bring. Thank you so much for listening and hearing my story today. I hope it brought you some light and intention to the struggles you're going through. You are in my heart, dear one. Until we meet again, I'm wishing you a cheeky and healthy IBD healing journey. Chat soon. Thank you so much for joining me today and for listening to today's episode. When it comes to IBD, I know there's a lot of resources out there, and I'm truly honored that you chose the Cheeky Podcast to get your IBD information today. If you found this information helpful, please give us a rating and review. It helps other moms find the podcast and see what we're doing over here to help IBD moms everywhere. And if you feel called to do it, share this podcast with an IBD mom who you know could really use an uplifting message today, because that's what we're all about over here at the Cheeky Podcast. One last thing, if you're still with me, and if you are, you're definitely my kind of gal. We have to get to know each other better. If you're tired of living on the hamster wheel of IBD with all the ups and downs between flares and remission... If you're struggling to get control of your abdominal pain, gas, bloating, diarrhea, and other troubling IBD symptoms, go to my website. It's karenhaley.com, and my mom had to be just a little bit different, spell my name with a Y. So it's K-A-R-Y-N-H-A-L-E-Y.com, and schedule your very own free 30-minute IBD root cause troubleshooting session with me, where... We discuss the challenges you've been having, we set goals to help you move forward, and we talk about how we can work together to help you get your life back. It's a power-packed 30 minutes. You don't have to live in IBD status quo. There's so much that can be done to transform your life so you can thrive in motherhood and thrive with IBD. I've seen my clients walk this path and it gives me so much joy to take that journey with them. My entire coaching practices run online, so you never have to leave your house and you never have to get out of your jammy or yoga pants for us to work together. You know I'm wearing them too. If you're ready to take your first amazing step towards healing, I'm ready to chat with you. Schedule your free 30-minute IBD root cause troubleshooting sesh today at karenhaley.com. Click on the work with me tab and I'll see you soon. It's important to note that the information in this podcast and in this episode is for general information purposes only and not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. The statements made in the Cheeky Podcast for Moms with IBD, either by me or my guests, is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Before implementing any new treatment protocols, do yourself a favor and consult your physician first. Thank you so much for listening, for being here, for saving this space for us to spend some time together. Until we chat again, I'm wishing you a cheeky and healthy IBD journey.